Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. This morning, we look at the power of sacrifice. The power of sacrifice. And the truth of the matter is, everyone makes sacrifices. I know many of you as parents or as grandparents or as leaders have have made sacrifices in your day for those that you take care of. And, and people have made sacrifices for you. But the truth is, every day we all make sacrifices. And so this morning we begin the next section of the Gospel of Mark. And at the time this happened, the Roman Christians were experiencing extreme persecution. Uh, they found that the Gospel of Jesus Christ was an encouragement to them when times were tough. And they served Jesus and had to make extreme sacrifices. But no more than Jesus had to make himself. You see, you and I must realize that when we sacrifice every day, the question is, what are we sacrificing and who are we sacrificing it to? So with that said, let's jump into our scriptures. The first thing we're going to see in verses 1 through 2 is that Jesus was the Passover lamb. If you've got a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it. There's one in the pew in front of you. Or if you've got the Bible app, you can uh, read the outline there. You can go to events and find all the sermon notes there. But chapter 14, verse 1 says, It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus And secretly, him. But not during the Passover celebration. They agreed, or people may riot. Now, when you're reading this passage, it's easy just to to gloss over these two verses. But the thing is, is that we've talked about it before, but just for the sake of context, let me say real quick that the Passover feast, uh, God celebrated this. Uh, God's people celebrated this every year. And this is what the Jews would do. They would come to Jerusalem. If they were within 15 miles of Jerusalem, they were almost required to be there. But the truth of the matter is, people came from all over. I guess it would be a lot like the homecomings for your favorite college team, where everybody just comes into town and everybody is just celebrating. But but this is what the the Jewish people did. And if you want to know why it's called the Passover... If you go back and you look at Exodus 12, you will, you will read up to the point to where Pharaoh would say, I will let God's people go. And the minute he would get ready to do that, he would rescind his offer and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, it finally got to the point to where God had lost patience with Pharaoh and he started or he, he, he made this promise. He said, look, if you do not take the sacrifice of a lamb, and paint your door jam with its blood, then that night the death angel would pass through every home in Egypt, whether you are a Jew or an Egyptian or whoever. If there is not that sacrificed blood of a lamb on the door, then the death angel will come in and kill the firstborn. You can imagine the horror of those people that woke up the next morning to find what they found. 
And so the reason they call it the Passover celebration is, is we know because of Scripture that this was the last straw. Egypt said, oh, we don't care what you say, Pharaoh. Y'all need to get out of here. And that's when they started on their trek to the promised land. And they celebrated that because that was much like we celebrate Independence Day. That was their Independence Day from getting out of slavery. So the Passover is referencing that which happened in Exodus 12. And I know it seems harsh to understand why in the world God would do that, but you really need to read chapters 1 through 12 to get contact, context for that. That wasn't God's first move. That, it was not like he didn't give Pharaoh in Egypt chance after chance after chance. But that's another story for another time. You can look at that if you'd like. But the time was to highlight, it was the highlight of the nation for Israel, much like our 4th of July, filled with pride and politics and love of country and celebrations and sometimes things that have little to do with the reason we are remembering it. Well, the religious leaders were afraid to confront Jesus during the celebration. You read that right here. They said, look, we're going to confront him, but not during this, because if we do that and his, his followers get upset, we could have a riot on our hands. You see, many religious leaders didn't know where Jesus stood politically. And I guarantee you, if Jesus came back today, he would not identify with the Republican Party. He would not identify with the Democratic Party. He wouldn't be an independent. He would just be Jesus. Because that's all he is. And that's all we need. Well, let's go back to our scripture this morning as we follow Christ's footsteps during these days of the, the last week of his life here on earth. And you will be amazed to see the responses of various people as they came into contact with Jesus. You see, Jesus is preparing for the once and all sacrificial Passover. They're celebrating Passover, but he will become the one and only sacrifice that is ever needed for your sins and mine. And some will follow his sacrifice by making sacrifices of their own. And then others will try to take advantage of it. So let's go to the next part. Uh, Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. As we start in verse 3, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Some of your translations may say that he's at home at the home of Simon the leper. This does not mean that he currently has leprosy. He is a man that was healed from leprosy. And so Jesus is at his home. Now, first of all, even though the man was healed and considered clean from the uh, priest after that, still, you got to imagine people weren't running to come into his house. But yet, here we go, we have him, and they are at Simon's house. And while he was eating, some translations say eating and reclining. Now, just, just to let you know, in that culture, when they would eat, they didn't sit down to the big table with the, the fancy china and, the, and the, the gravy boat in the middle and all these kind of things like that. They had a little table that was maybe ankle high, at most knee high. And they would have pillows all around it. And so they would be like just laying on their side, 
you know, propped up on their arm and they would just reach over to the table. They would really recline and just really take it easy. So that's, that's the picture here. They're sitting in Simon's house. They are reclining and they are eating. Some of you, I know y'all, some of you have your best meals in your recliners at home, don't you? But that's what they were doing. They were reclining and a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Now, some translations say spike nard. Now, we have all seen those perfume and cologne commercials on TV where they have the the two good to be true models and they're they're saying the name in a nice French accent. I'd like to see one for nard. The essence that everybody wants, nard, spike nard, whatever it may be. See, I'm telling you, when I read the scriptures, sometimes I just, I'm random, I apologize. But I don't want to make light of this nard because it was extremely valuable. It was in an alabaster jar, not like you could just take the, the top off and a little dab will do you kind of thing, but it was it was a treasure, it was contained in this sealed alabaster jar and it says that she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head this was not let me give jesus a little dab of this this was i have been treasuring this and i have been waiting and this is a special moment to where this is what it's going to be used for so crack she opens it up and then pours it over jesus's head John's account of this story in John 12, just to get some extra uh, context here, tells us that it was Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany had a sister named Martha. You will probably know about the exchange between Mary, Martha, and Jesus. And they had a brother you may have heard, may have heard of named Lazarus. That's, that's the woman who does this. And so, I don't know about y'all, but I have been to some of y'all's houses... And I have never had you pour oil over my head. And if you had offered, I probably would have kindly rejected. But back in that day, it was customary to do that. When a guest would arrive for a meal, it was customary to anoint the guest's head with a dab of oil. Now, I don't want to be crass, but you've got to remember, back in those days, they didn't have deodorant. They didn't have regular cleaning routines. They just, that was them. You got them in all of their glory. And they had been walking all day. They had been, you know, all of the, they were not clean. So in a lot of ways, that, that ointment, that nard, that perfume was to make it so everybody could at least get their food down. And so it, it was customary for them to do that. But here in this, this time, the woman went much farther than just a customary greeting because she poured the entire contents of an alabaster flax of a very costly oil on the head of Jesus. And so the, it filled the entire room from where they were eating. At that moment, Jesus was the only point of concern for her in that room. And so as the men and disciples were reclining and eating, Jesus was the only person Mary was focused on. Now, let me give you a little application here of this. Folks, please disregard the need for the praise of others when focusing your worship on Jesus. Disregard the need for the praise of others 
when focusing your worship on Jesus. Don't spend all your time evaluating whether the person beside you is singing with their eyes open or their eyes closed. Don't worry about if they're raising their hands like this, the good Baptist way, or if they're doing full Pentecostal like this. And it doesn't, I mean, that's between them and the Lord. But also it means when you are serving the Lord, you should not be distracted with what everybody else says about you. Your primary focus of the sacrifice you are making is Jesus himself. We need to follow Mary's example. The experts and the men in the room thought they had all the answers. And that they were better than this woman when really Jesus was all that she needed. Now, again, in this room, these are people that, that love Jesus. These are the disciples. These are the man. This is the man's house of the man that was healed from leprosy. And here they're saying, woman, come on. There's more important things. There's better things that you could do with that. But no, for her, it was important. And the thing is, she didn't have a speech. She didn't have to say a word. She didn't ask for permission. She didn't ask for acceptance. She simply sacrificed as God was calling her to do. And I love in verse 4, it says, Some of those at the table were indignant. Now, I had to, to look up indignant because I don't have that in my regular vocabulary. I had an idea what it meant, but when it says some of those at the table, it's like I said a minute ago, the disciples were there too, folks. The man that Jesus healed was there too. It says they were indignant, which means they were angry. They were annoyed. They were put out. They were like, oh my goodness, this woman. We're sitting here eating our whatever we're eating and she's, you know, interrupting our meal. I'm sure that after that, that nard started permeating the room. They're like, oh, that's terrible. That's strong. That woman has ruined our meal. He says, why waste expensive perfume, one of the men said. It could have been sold for a year's wages, which was basically 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. Now, that person that made that objection was unnamed in Mark's gospel, but in the other four gospels, guess who that was? I'll give you one guess. Who would of the disciples be worried about how much the nard costs? Judas. It was Judas making that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we know that this perfume cost a year's wages. Think of something that you would buy with a year's wages. It was something that she absolutely treasured. It could not easily be replaced. It's likely that it was an heirloom handed down because what they would do is they would have these these expensive alabaster jars filled with this perfume and it would be set aside for their funeral to prepare their bodies for the funeral. And that may have been what, what Mary had been holding that bottle for. It was about the size of a fist or an onion. Filled this alabaster jar, and it was it was a year's wages. I don't even think I have a year's wages put together, let alone. You got to think back then they didn't have E. F. Hutton, you know, where they talk and people listen. Uh, they they didn't have banks as as we know it. They didn't have all they had was themselves, and so their investment was this nard. This alabaster, at some point, if times got tough, they could have sold it and at least got their money back plus some. 
But no, she even though she may it may have been an heirloom for her family, she may have been saving it for herself. We don't know. But she thought it was Jesus was worth anoint, being anointed with it. And then notice Jesus' reply in verse 6. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. And then this is, this part here, it's easy to to just read over this, but I love in verse 8 where it says, Jesus is saying of her, she has done what she could do. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. Again, Jesus is saying, look, hey folks, we're on the clock here. The cross is just a few days away. And this woman has taken this opportunity to prepare my body for my death. i tell you the truth. In verse 9 he says, When the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Which that is what we are doing today. She did what she could do. This is Jesus' defense of Mary. The men at the table only had lip service. You know those people say, well, what you ought to have done was this. Well, if it were me, I would have done this. And you're like, well, you know, you're not me. And no, you didn't do anything. And I don't need your, your advice now. It's already done. You sat there and watched us while we did this. But no, Jesus says to these guys, look, you, had, you did this. You japped your jaws. But yet this woman... Truly sacrificed. Jesus commends her for what she did. Jesus is saying what this woman sacrificed was lovely and it was morally good. So what we see, the application from this is Jesus expects no more from us than we can do. Jesus expects no more from us than we can do. Yes, she didn't have a whole lot of money, but everything that she had, she sacrificed for Jesus. It doesn't matter what you have. Jesus knows how much you have. Jesus knows what you have. Now, I'm not talking about money, just money. I'm just saying in a life. Jesus knows what you have to give to him, and he knows what you're keeping in reserve. And he knows with me as well. This woman gave sacrificially. It was some of what she could do, but it was also all she could do. Folks, we can't lower the bar and say, well, I'm sacrificing for Jesus. But yet, you know that you've lowered the bar and you're not really giving all. I mean, you're giving God the leftovers. Whether it be your time, your talents, your resources, your your heart. Jesus knew that time was short. The fact that the disciples were trying to ignore. Why did the disciples not want to hear about this death business? Because, again, they wanted Jesus to have an earthly reign. They wanted to have the power, the entourage, all of those things. They didn't, they didn't want to discuss it. This woman's deeds are still talked about today. And many others have been forgotten. Because when we make gospel living a priority, it lasts forever.
The third thing that we see is that Judas sacrifices his integrity. Judas sacrifices his integrity. In verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. So when you think about Judas' story, don't say, oh, poor Judas, he was just a pawn in the greater picture. No, he wasn't. He plotted, he planned, and he, 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 there is nothing in scriptures to say that Judas was even a believer. I think he believed in the almighty coin or the almighty money, and that was it. I mean, he was the treasurer for Jesus' ministry and the disciples, and that's probably why when the first thing that somebody says when that nard is, 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 is broken open and anointing Jesus, he say, look, do you know how much good we could do with that? He's probably thinking in the back of his mind, you know what? We could sell that stuff and I could get my cut off of it. He sacrificed his integrity. He was more focused on the money than the meaning behind it. And Judas, here's the thing. Judas was willing to sin. So God used him in his plan of redemption. I've always wrestled with the fact that, you know, and I guess there's great theologians that could debate this for years, but... Did Judas have a choice or did he not to be that person? Could it have been somebody else? I don't know. I do, I do know this, that Judas played his part in, in God's plan of redemption. It was his greed and his lack of integrity that placed him in the position. My friends, if you sacrifice your integrity, you will be used in low places to do low things. Matthew 26:15 makes it clear that Jesus or excuse me Judas bargained with the religious leaders for the life of Jesus. He asked them, "What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you?" So certainly part of his motivation was greed. And so here's the thing, here's where I come down on this with Judas. God used the wicked work of Satan working in Judas's life to accomplish his purpose, but God did not prompt Judas to do that. God never calls you to sin to accomplish his purposes. So if you're praying about what God wants you to do, and if one of your options is to do something that is sinful, that is not God. He doesn't use sin to accomplish his purpose. His son died, so you wouldn't have to do that sin. So as we wrap our time up this morning... The power of sacrifice is determined by what we are willing to give up and for who. The power of sacrifice is determined by what we are willing to give up and for who. Mary, the woman with the oil, she sacrificed what was precious to her. Mary did all she could for Jesus at whatever the cost. Are you willing to follow Jesus at whatever the cost. Are you willing to him and say, look, God, you're not my co-pilot. Jesus, you're not my co-pilot. You are my pilot. That I, I give you control. And wherever you lead, I will go. That's a scary song to sing, isn't it? But are you willing to say, Jesus, I am yours. You lead. 
me. You lead our family. You lead our church. You lead my career. Wherever you would have me to go, complete surrender, complete sacrifice, breaking the alabaster jar and letting it all pour out to anoint Jesus. She expressed her love and anticipation for going to the, Jesus going to the cross and dying for her. And her act was symbolic of preparing Jesus' body for burial. And her act was a beautiful fragrance. Folks, I'm telling you what. When you sacrifice for the Lord, you have the aroma of Jesus around you. And everybody else is benefited from that. If you don't believe me, when I read this and when I prepared this, I thought of his body. Nobody, I mean, she's not a saint. We don't worship her. She wouldn't want that. But the reason we all are grieving so much is because her life gave off the aroma of Christ. Now, Judas, however, Judas... He was actually one of the called twelve. And nothing in Scripture refers to him as ever being a believer. He was around Jesus. Judas was around Jesus, but only for what he could get out of him. Folks, let me give you a big warning caution sign today. If the reason you are following Jesus is for what you get out of it, you are probably not a believer to begin with. You may have the heart of Judas. What do you mean, preacher? I'm here every week. What I mean is, is why are you here? Are you here for a social network? Are you here for contacts at a job? Are you here to keep your spouse quiet? Are you here just because you've always done it and you feel nothing when you're here? Why why are you coming here? Why are you doing this? My friends, let me tell you something. Don't be the Judas that you are in church, you are around church, you are around Jesus, but he has never come into your heart. I do believe that when Jesus Christ comes back, some church attendances will not even change. Because they have religion. And they have what they've always done. But their hearts are far from Jesus. If you don't believe me, we've seen the horrendous things God's people can do in the name of Jesus. And it's obvious they don't even know Him when they do those things. Mary gave her best and Judas gave his worst and look at what it got them. One was commended and blessed. The other was used by Satan and eventually, ultimately, shamed and died by his own hands. See, that's the thing about the devil. After he uses you, he's done with you. What are you sacrificing today, folks? And where is that taking you? That's something you need to evaluate as you read our passage today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time. And dear Heavenly Father, as as any time, Lord, I would like to, to leave the altar open for a moment, Lord. That, Lord, if there is somebody here that would say, you know what, Pastor, I, I, I'm not sure that, that my sacrifice is all it needs to be. Or I am not even sure that I may be like that, that person that is 
closer to Judas. That I've been to church, but I don't know for sure that he's in my heart. Today can be the day where you know for sure. All you would have to do is just ask Jesus to come into your heart. If you would like to come forward, the altar will be open. And everyone here will rejoice And if there's one person that comes to know you. The altar will be open for prayer. Or if someone wants to join this church, whatever the decision may be, Lord, may you work. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.